Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to the Soulful CXO Podcast with Dr. Rebecca Wynn. These conversations focus on the intersection of technology, business, and humanity, exploring how these three areas impact each other. Dr. Wynn interviews guests, including business leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts in various fields to share insights and experiences on cybersecurity, risk management, and leadership. The podcast aims to provide a fresh perspective on how technology can be leveraged to create positive change in the world. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Soulful CXO. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. We are pleased to have with us today, Bob Turner. Bob is an award-winning Chief Information Security Officer serving the education sector. His positions have included CISO for Education at Fortinet, where he was a senior level strategic business and technical advisor developing security thought leadership and world-class practices for the cybersecurity community and business executives. He was the CISO at University of Wisconsin-Madison, leading the development and delivery of comprehensive information security and privacy programs. His previous experience included managing consultants focused on cybersecurity policy and compliance with assessment of information systems and cybersecurity inspection for education, healthcare, installation management, and energy clients. He served in the U.S. Navy for 23 years as an enlisted telecommunications operator and then as a commission communications information systems officer. He has dozens of published works as a highly sought after speaker and panelist is on many advisory boards. Bob, my friend, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is a great opportunity to have a wonderful conversation with somebody I respect greatly. Thank you, Bob. Bob, your background is really interesting. Your educational background, your military background. Can you walk our audience through that and then how that that led you to be the great CISO that you are today? In the Ted Baxter from the Mary Tyler Moore show, it all started in a 1,000 watt radio station on the USS Omaha in uh, 1998, 79. Anyway, a long time ago. I got my, my technology chops actually from my dad. My dad introduced me to shortwave radio, CB, single sideband, and all those. And I was always amazed at how I could sit in the Pacific Northwest and talk to somebody with the right atmospheric conditions in Florida. And so that got me interested in technology. And I had an opportunity to, to join the Navy right after high school, and which was really probably one of the best things I did. And I was remarking to a friend of mine that, the, that we both arrived in boot camp shortly after our 18th birthday in the middle of the night. But from there, I don't know if we've really ever slept since then because of all the things that have gone on. I learned technology. I learned uh, to, to operate within the submarine force, which is really unique because there's operators and then there's technicians. Well, on the submarine, you don't have that many spare beds. So I was the operator, but I was also the technician. So I got a deep technical understanding of telecommunications, how information systems worked, and also just sort of the being always on and paying attention to what's going on. That, that kind of built my, my story there. Yeah, had a good career in the military, did some great things, served in, in some important positions, and then time was up. It was time 
to go and do something else. And one of my first roles I landed in was another role where I got to get back to those technical roots because that, I, I think in any job, there's a point where as you elevate in rank or stature within the organization, you have to learn to put your hands in your pockets. And what I learned in the, in my last several years of my career was keep your hands in your pockets and be thoughtful about how you communicate to the people around you, both the, the people who work for you, work with you, and the people you work for. Um, just really be careful about how you communicate. Uh, so then I got the first job out. I was actually back in the button pushing again. I got to work on a baseline system for a an important experimental facility. So every time they came in and did an experiment, they brought their own things. And then at the end of it, they took their stuff away, which, which was a good deceleration from military leadership. So got back in there. I went into work with a, a, a consulting firm and I got a, a great opportunity to get in on the ground floor when the military was still trying to figure out if cyber was an noun, an adjective or a verb. And from there, progressive assignments and understanding uh, risk management certification, how to accredit systems under the the not only the DoD framework but the NIST frameworks that uh, were emerging at the time. Eventually, I got that leadership bug, and I said, "I think I'd like to try for this here CISO thing that is going around." And uh, I applied to a, a couple of different organizations, and I ended up at the University of Wisconsin Madison, where uh, timing is everything. They were ready for me to come in and help them develop a program that was going to be uh, fitting of the university and their reputation. And I got to do that for six and a half years. And then Fortinet came along and said, we have this special position we're creating called the field CISO for education. I saw that as, oh, this is nice. And then when it started talking to me about it, it was not just higher education. It was K-12, community colleges, higher education, research universities, and state and local governments. And, and so that to me was, wow, I get to I get really give back to the public sector from the things that I had been given throughout my career. And that kind of leads me to where we're at today. Uh, I am in a, a position to continue that thought leadership. I'm in a position to, to continue delivering great work to great customers. And that's what I intend to do from now until the time the, the wife says, we've got enough, why don't you stop? You said something earlier when you're speaking about one of the lessons that you learned in your military career about when to put your hand in your pockets, keep your head down and mm -hmm. be I mean, say a little different, be wise about your words. That's such a challenge today, knowing when to speak up, when not to speak up, when to turn the other way, not turn the other way. Can you walk us through a little bit more about your process on, on determining when to engage, when not to engage, when to listen more? Because mm -hmm. that's really a challenge today, especially with CISOs, where at times we can take a backseat too much when we should have actually spoke up and, and said what was on our heart. Yeah, that's a, a, a really great Great question, and, and I'll address it in, in two ways. First of all, uh, not everything that goes through my head needs to be expressed in public. <laughs> and, and that's just uh, because there's a lot of things going on up there. But I, I really find out that when, when it needs to be a technical discussion, 
and there are people from all levels of the organization in the room. My job as a CISO is to sit back and let the experts bring what they have in their heads and what they have in their experience to the table because that nothing empowers them more than knowing that I value their opinion and I value their thoughts and I appreciate the skill that they bring to the table. Um, likewise, if I am talking to the C-suite, the board, the, the leaders in the organization, I should be doing that based on what I know from the people who are working for me uh, and also my years of experience. But it has to come out as I'm speaking as an authority with the C in front, or I'm speaking as somebody who just genuinely understands what's going on. I think that you can rack both of them into a conversation at any level of an organization. If you know what's going on, plus you have that authority, that makes it impactful for who you're talking to for the moment you're talking in. You know, one of the challenges for a lot of CISOs right now, a lot of flux, a lot of people changing the positions. And when you're going to that new position, you're inheriting a team that might not be the team that you would hire having those positions. Maybe they're mm -hmm. actually do not have the years of experience that you need. But in today's world, a lot of people on this career trajectory, every six months, they want people to keep going ahead and getting promoted. How do you advise people to deal with that? That's one thing that I've seen. Very inexperienced staff with inflated titles. Mm -hmm. So they don't know what they don't know yet but you got to get the work done at the same time. So you have to actually change to be a little bit more of a coach and you end up being, have to be more technical because that, there's a gap there, but HR doesn't realize that because they're worried about career paths so much and giving people new titles every six months. Yeah, I, I know how the titling thing works and I understand how the compensation models work and everybody wants to be on that continual upward trajectory. But sometimes you really have to bloom where you're planted. And I think that the technologist who is a great technologist doesn't necessarily want to speak well in public and doesn't necessarily want to have that seat at the, the big table. They have a very special place in an organization and you should nurture them for those skills. But along the way, if you know that they have the potential, you should be coaching. So some of it is you're just simply having them at the table just for their knowledge and understanding. But another part of that is when they get into that technical conversation with senior level leaders, you can help coach them into an answer that is going to help those senior level leaders understand better. In other words, use an analogy that make it into a business problem that you're solving by doing technical task X. And I like to work with HR and help have them understand where we're at. And I've been in organizations that didn't necessarily have the job description thing down really well. I've served as a consultant to those kind of organizations too. And I said, is that really what you're asking for? Because you're asking for somebody who knows everything and does everything, but will only talk in authority when necessary. Or you're asking for one or two people to have the knowledge and experience of 12. And when you look at the position descriptions that are out there, they have 15 or 16 primary tasks for a CISO to do. And I harken back to some advice I got from a, an executive at the University of Wisconsin. And that executive said that if you have more than three priorities, you don't have any priorities. So important to understand that 
in your business, your priority should be keeping the, the data safe and secure, keeping the systems operating. And you're doing that by your understanding, your people's understanding, and also the technology in front of you. Yeah, I agree with you when they basically are just doing a a dump of the NIST CISO manual out there and saying, you must do all these at all points in time. It makes the job pretty tough. One of the things I see too is you and I both came up through School of Hard Knocks. We both went, did some different work certificates at the Post Naval Graduate School and different places like that. Hands-on learning day in and day out. A lot of times now, People go ahead and they Google it, maybe they do chat GPT or something like that. And oh, here must be the answer without necessarily having that broader understanding of, but where can it affect other areas in the business? Where can it affect other architectures that are going along those lines? I call it critical thinking and critical business thinking. But do you see that as well? Yeah. So so there's two real, uh, two sides of the, the conversation there. The first is where do you get your knowledge from? Um, and how are you expressing that knowledge um, in written form, in public and speaking engagements, et cetera? And, and the other is, what is behind that? Where did you get the learning from? Where did you get the understanding? So I had my hands in the equipment when I was young and junior and learning a lot, but I wasn't invited to the, the adult conversations about strategy and tactics. Then I evolved up into the, yeah, we're creating the tactics, we're creating the strategy, and then it was the, and now I'm in charge of it. And that to me seems like understanding where you're at in the strata and understanding also that not everybody has had the same career path. Not everybody is on the same journey and motivations are different between people. And that's really the understanding humans at the transactional face-to-face, hand-to-hand uh, level. How do you have that relationship with a CEO or how do you have that relationship with a board member and how is that relationship being nurtured and what are you bringing to the table to help make that relationship better? And that's where we get into the, what is the C-level anyway? They're paid to make good decisions that make the company continue to thrive. But if the C-level leader is not also all of the above as far as their coaching style, their leadership traits, their the way they interact with people, how they ideas and, and opinions versus technical knowledge behind them, that's the important thing that I I really like to lean on is that I have been given that over my career as progressive leadership roles and progressive management roles and understanding that at the end of the day, I have to be uh, in charge of what comes out of my head. And I also have to make sure that it's appropriate for the situation that I'm dealing with. C-level is, that's just where it's at. The CXO needs to be able to understand where they're at and be able to do the things that are necessary for leaders to do. And one thing that I've seen over I would say really last year or two, it seems like CISOs have gone backwards where we were like almost C-suite light <laughs> in several areas. And now we've gotten shifted way to the left where it's, we want a security engineer who we will give a CISO title. 
we want someone who is security operations who will give the title, mm -hmm. network engineering title. And I've talked to other CISOs over this past year, probably like 50 of them. And we're all feeling that there is a, it's almost like a downshift of our field. What's your viewpoint on that? And, and why do you think that might be happening? Is it because of the burnout? And so many of us had, had gotten burnout because we were burning the candle at both ends during 2020 to 2022? You know, I, I like to treat that era as an anomaly in the way we should be working. Now, the one of the great things that came out is that remote work is popular now. And I, I truly enjoy that. Um, but what we do and how we do it, when you're talking about an organization that is full-time, face-to-face, there's a meeting at nine o'clock and then there's another one at 1030 and then there's another one at one o'clock and you're pretty much saying the same thing at every meeting. That That's a company that is meeting centric. Uh, and that's, I don't know if they're really getting a lot done individually, but the collective is obviously working or they wouldn't still be in business. In, in understanding how to deal with that, how to have those conversations, how to have those executive conversations. I think that's the CISOs have probably been growing over, like you said, the last couple of years. And let's take it from 18 forward and let's set the COVID world aside for a second. Because what we got is we got recognition. We got that opportunity. And in a lot of organizations, they said the CISO is the authority. And, and when we have a security issue, we, when we have a, a data uh, privacy issue, when we have a technical issue, denial of service, et cetera, we depend upon the CISO to lead the team that's going to get us out of it. And that team is not only just the, those that are direct uh, down uh, downstream reports from the CISO, but it's also everybody else in the organization that the CISO has to interact with. It's HR, it's finance, it's operations, it's the leadership components that are developing things. CISOs should not work for the chief technology officer. I, I could go either way on whether the CISO should work for the CIO, but I think that if the C is there, we all have to come to the table with our respective strengths, and that's where how we should be acting with each other. We are sliding back in some ways, and a lot of that is because now that they have CISOs and they know what to do with them, they're rethinking the way that the rest of the company hierarchy interacts with this brilliant person that we've just hired to do this tough job that nobody else wants to do. So how do we deal with that? How do we get ourselves out of that particular mode and really just be seen as an equal player at the table in the C-suite? Yeah, I think it's, it's been a tough task. I have had a good really CTO before in my past who was mm -hmm. very supportive, but again, availability always trumps. Yeah. And you have this return. And I had had a very good CIO, but they were very strong engineer architecture and things mm -hmm. like that. And so they listened to me. But I agree with you. I think it's really tough right now if we get embedded deep within IT for like that ancillary budget for what is the check the box to get us through PCI or what have mm -hmm. you. And our voices aren't always heard because they want to run the business. And what I'm leaning towards is that. How do we balance, because this is what I'm seeing with a lot of younger CISOs, is 
I I'm playing well with the business. I'm running well with the business. And so I'm just going to go ahead and put my hands in my pocket and I'm going to put my head down and mm. I'm just going to play along when the company is actually taking more risk that's outside of the risk tolerance, the enterprise risk management that they said that they were going to be held to, which is our responsibility to go ahead and let them know you're going out of that risk tolerance. So how, how do you advise people to get around that? I think that's also what's causing us to keep shifting to the left. I, I I agree. And we have to be there and we have to be relevant. Um, we, we have to take our risk management background and understanding of the fundamental risk equations. Uh, and, and we really need to make sure that if we see something that crosses those boundaries, we speak up. If we don't say anything, will anybody else? I'd really rather to be on the front end of that and build it up. And and maybe our risk strategy is off. Let's be part of the team that is fixing that risk strategy rather than motoring along on our own and, and not worrying if we're steering into a ditch. <laughs> the, the, the risk manager, the, the slips and falls and, and uh, hazardous substances person at an organization is just as important in, in identifying and, and helping to mitigate risk as the CISO is. Uh, as the CFO would be, as any of the other uh, operating units or departments within an organization. When you're at that level of leadership, it is all about risk at the end of the day. And if, if we're not managing the cyber risk as vigorous as we're managing product risk or managing business risk, over leveraging in, in certain areas or under leveraging in certain areas, then we're not necessarily doing what we're supposed to be doing. And that is watching out for the business. We're at that level where a lot of the, a lot of the compensation packages are de designed on how well the business is doing. So you do have a stake in it. Everybody has a stake in it is if they are wanting the company to be uh, survive and thrive in today's world. Yeah, and I think one of the things that also throws a, a monkey wrench into it is that we as CISOs can do jail time. Yeah, that whole Wells notice thing, huh? Yeah. You have GDPR and stuff like that. So I'm not saying we have to report into the, the CEO. I'm not going to get into that. I, I want to make sure I have the best advocate for me. But if we mm. don't have a voice, we could immediately lose our career in a nanosecond. Um, and we don't have those same protections in place. How do you advise young CISOs? I know you mentor like I do. How do you advise them? I know I've written out there, don't aspire to be a CISO. Getting back to your earlier point, aspire to be the best cyber person as you possibly can be and enjoy mm -hmm. what you're doing. And if it ends up being that you go to CISO, that's fine, but don't do that career path that I need to be a CISO because the liabilities for us are getting deeper and deeper. And a lot of our support structures is getting smaller and smaller, unfortunately. Yeah. And and I would like to think if, if the world were perfectly round and I were king for the day, <laughs> then every company would build in that that fail safe for the CISO. I remember there was certain politicians that were talking about the CIO and the, and, or the CEO and the CISO should go to jail the next time you're breached. And rhetoric like that, I don't think is helpful. But it's okay to be accountable, especially if that's your role, that's your mission. And if you miss on something, then let's have that moment of accountability, but it doesn't always have to be we're gonna we're gonna haul you away in a different set of bracelets. 
Um, that's not, I don't think that is helpful. I think that influences people to do things that are safe versus things that are the right thing to do. And in the world of cybersecurity, uh, anything that causes corporate information to be breached, systems to be compromised, systems to be taken offline uh, at, the, at the whim of the adversary and not at the whim of the company, those are the things that we need to be guarding against. Those are the things that we need to study to understand how they happen and, and how we can mitigate the, the issues that are part of that. But it's also how do we communicate that to the, the people that need to know. That involves, and when I say communicate to the people that need to know, that's from the, the last person hired to the senior most executives and the president of the board. That broad spectrum of awareness is really something that the CISO should be taking as a personal challenge and making sure it is operating well. We should have that ability and an and invitation to talk to the C-suite and talk to not only our peers in the organization, but also the, those senior to us in the organization. And it also means that the board of directors who are making other key decisions, they need to hear about what we know as well. And we have to be able to present that in a way that it's going to make sense to them and, and not just be a Charlie Brown's teacher report in the background. <laughs> yeah, the, the we'll give you 15 minutes and then you show up 12 minutes, 10 minutes. You got 12 seconds. Yeah, yeah there you go. You, to give you but always have a briefing ready to hand them so they can read it in the car on the way back. As we go towards 2025, 2030, one of the other things that we see mm -hmm. is putting a lot of stress on our field right now is the fear of AI machine learning. AI has been around since 1950. Machine learning has been around since 1960s. We do use AI machine learning in our tools and things like that. But yeah. there is a cusp where people are thinking that they need less people like for governance risk compliance because I can just have chat GPT write me a policy and procedure it's not mean that you're having security and compliance and enterprise risk management by default and by design when you use these tools. How do you feel about that? I think they can really go ahead and do a lot of those mandate tasks that we, we have. But if you're thinking that they're going to replace the security staff, I think that's also going to lead companies to be danger. Yeah, I, I, I agree. In, in the way I look at it is the AI... Um, revolution, it brings us opportunities, but it also brings us challenges. So if somebody creates that ultimate third-party risk assessment based on what they got off of the internet, uh, and, and there's no validation of that, is it really an assessment? The, the, the process you go through to do any kind of a risk assessment or any kind of a, a security statement has to become one of, here's the basic information, we put it in this format, does that make sense? And is it true and valid? And does it help the situation? And, and I can see that AI is going to also be a great tool for us, because as you said, we've been using artificial intelligence in the cyber world forever. Anybody who is using a SIM or EDR <clears throat> is using AI. And we, we know that. We know that intrinsically because we have studied what those tools are like, but helping to get that thought across to the rest of the world, ChatGPT is a language model and it's going to absorb what it is and put it in the, what it, what it sees and put it in the right order so that it makes sense to that language model. It's not necessarily going to be 
the the type of AI that we really need. We need that SIM with AI. We need that endpoint detection and response capability that is powered by AI derived from indicators of compromise and, and other signatures uh, that are available either through our provider or out in the open as it is, as far as you can go find things on the dark web. But it, it if we're going to focus on the right thing, and that's doing the job and making the, the company's data as safe and secure as possible, then we have to understand that AI is one of the tools in the toolbox. Uh, machine learning is helpful to that because it's going to it's going to listen and, and make adjustments and, and the programming for that and the technology that drives that, that's where we should be putting the focus. Do we have the right technology to build the AI that is going to be helpful? Do we have the right people that understand that technology in order to build it so it meets the company's needs and, and is not just an off-the-shelf product, AI or us? I think one of the dangers is when people go ahead and they think it's set and forget it. You have to you have to have an analyst at some point. And, and I think that the, the key skill in any successful analyst is curiosity. So if that analyst can look at that report and say, that makes perfect sense to me, uh, everything is in line and there's nothing that makes me curious, then that's probably a good report. But I would wonder why they didn't light on any one of the many details in that report and say, how did they get that conclusion? And, and that's the curiosity I want in an analyst. That's the curiosity I want in anybody who has got the title of leader or manager in their job description. And that's where we have to make sure that we are rewarding the curiosity that comes up with the, the right questions. Absolutely. Our time is just totally flown by. What is the best way for people to reach out to you for advisory services, speaking engagements, and things along those lines? Yeah, I think the best way is to look me up on LinkedIn. The That's a, a best channel and I do monitor uh, frequently, but not always on Saturdays. Yeah, I do take social breaks on Sunday. I do not do any social media on Sunday. Bob, you thank you so much for being on the show. You are a soulful CXO. Thank you for that honor. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Soulful CXO Podcast with Dr. Rebecca Wynn, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit itspmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our shows. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.